0: Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I invite you to join me as we explore what it looks like to choose joy in the messy middle while embracing the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to find joy in your every day. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 290 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am delighted to be doing the season six finale where I'm looking at the things that stood out to me most from guests in season six. I'll be playing a little bit of audio from each of their interviews and sharing a little bit about how their wisdom and their words have stuck with me through this season where we've been looking at how to find joy in the messy middle. And I want to say that each of these episodes has stood out in my head and stuck in my heart in some way. And so I want to dig into that a little bit as well and honor each of them and thank them deeply for being on the show and opening my eyes to something in a new way. Before we get to that, I want to give you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in this week. And always, it has been an interesting season here in season six. And I hope that somewhere along the way that you found a little bit out about how to find joy in the messy middle. Of course, the messy middle is this kind of uncomfortable and strange time that we found ourselves in during the pandemic. If you want to find out more about Jumpstart Your Joy, of course, you can head on over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And while you're there, you can listen to the past 289 episodes of the last now seven years and uh, really dig in and enjoy. There's so many great conversations there. You can also purchase my book that came out this year as well, and it's titled Jumpstart Your Joy, heart Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. Um, really a delight to write it, and I think there's still so much goodness in it that you can read and some exercises to follow, some things to try on how to find joy for your journey and if you want to sign up for my newsletter people are digging it i'm going to say it's got uh, it comes out each week as i release a new episode and there's kind of a wrap up of five things that you can play around with that might bring more joy to your life so find that on jumpstartyourjoy.com as well. And the episode notes with links to the past longer versions of each of these episodes I'm going to be revisiting today can be found on the website as well at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 290. Here we are. Okay, as we jump in here, I want to also say that we are going through these episodes in the order that they were released this season. So in this first episode, one that we're going to be listening to. I had the distinct pleasure very early on in season six to interview Dr. Jeff Spies. And he was at one time an oncologist and he then went into hospice work and worked with people who, um, we're dying and has since wrote a book, Dying with Ease. And if you've listened, you know that I feel that there's something really interesting to look at when we talk about grief. I've enjoyed conversations in the past with people who are experts in that field. I feel like joy and grief are bookends of two extreme emotions and there's a lot to learn from how can we find our way back to joy when we look at who are we in the midst of grief. And so Jeff offered some really interesting insights in this. And the first quote that we're going to hear is him reflecting on his overall experience of sitting with those people who are dying and the things that they have taught him.
1: I know what dying people have taught me. Mm. That's how I know anything about this. And I have heard over and over and over again that people who are learning how to die are astounded because they realize I get it now. This is how to live. This is how to live, to pay attention to honesty, risk, be vulnerable, to pay attention to the relationships, to ask, to, to figure out who I am and what are my priorities and to think about what legacy do I want to leave? Because all of those things I think are tremendous sources of joy to know that Yes, you can have tremendous joy while you're breaking down and crying. I've been in so many conversations with weeping and wailing and laughing all at the same time that are sessions of such joy, whether there's somebody recording a video for the grandchild that's going to be born, or seeing the, the strange son that, you know, left home 30 years ago, or just me finding out something about my dad, you know, a a couple days before he died. That's amazing joy. And I think that, I think we mentioned that really the opposite of joy here is fear and the, to embrace as best you can. If you know you're going to die, there's no changing that. I often use the old bank robber thing. Nobody gets out of here alive. There's just one way out. And if one can accept that, then you can find the joy that happens at least up till that point. I don't know about after, but at least until that point, it can be there. Yes.
0: And then I really love, um, because Jeff and I both have a background in Christianity and in religion. And so we did talk a little bit about divinity school and some of his experience. And one of his favorite portions of the Bible is the book of Job, which is in the Old Testament. And I really love what he has to say here about what Job's friends, uh, this is a, a gentleman in the Bible, what they did and how they approached him when they realized that he was sick. And I really love this last little bit that he talks about that could be a great bumper sticker.
1: I don't want to go too far down the pastoral counseling role, but <laughs> okay. if you go back to your divinity school, one of my favorite, favorite scenes, favorite lines, and it's so little, it's in the book of Job, when Job is, for those who are familiar with the story, well, if it's not, it's either way, um, <laughs> who is, everything is taken from him, and then he is um, afflicted with his horrible physical disease, and his friends come to counsel him. And most of the book is this conversation of them saying the wrong thing and him saying the wrong thing and and not getting anywhere. But there's this great line at the very beginning of that, because when his friends got there for seven days, they sat with him around, they sat with him and didn't say anything because they saw how much he was suffering. And that's the answer is to be with and honor the person. And when they're ready to talk, then you, you do it. And that's tough if you're the clinical pastor or the chaplain in the hospital and you've got to see 37 people that day. It's tough if they, if they have to wait, but that is the secret. Yes, the bumper sticker thing is, don't just do something, sit there.
0: <laughs> I love it. Really is one of my favorite things. don't just do something, sit there. And I, I love that idea that sometimes the things that people, sometimes the thing that people need most in their lives, when they're going through something really difficult is someone to listen, someone to hold space for them while they're in the midst of it, and someone just to be there for them. And I think that's what that <laughs> bumper sticker idea really harkens back to. So thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Jeff Spees. It was such a treat to meet you. Thank you so much. The next one that really stands out to me um, was a reunion of sorts. And I got to speak with someone that I had gone to high school with and played softball with, and that is Molly McGlynn (laughs) Noterer. I like to use her maiden name there in the middle, (laughs) just because that's how I knew her. Um, And Molly recently was a, a... Published a book, and she is also the co-owner of Legacy Concierge Services. Interestingly, the conversations with Jeff Spies and Molly happened really right in order with each other. The one being about how we work with people who are dying, and the other one being about how someone helps families and people navigate the space of arranging for services for people who are elderly and maybe need care. Uh, and so that's a really interesting field that, that Molly's in. And so I, I really I loved speaking to her about it. And well, there's a couple of things that I want to review in this episode that she said that were so eloquent and lovely. And the first one was about her own experience of, uh, this is what she wrote about in her book, but about how she came into her own and let go of some of the doubts and the, the shame that she felt uh, about the things that she hadn't been able to do as a younger person, but then how she really rose into her own as she became an adult and who she is now.
2: So for so long, I was told, no, I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worthy of, and I bought into it and believed that going on. This is going back from, you know, being a little kid, I, I remember being told you're not worthy. No, having dreams, being told, no, you can't do it. You're not capable. And I still have those insecurities and I still have that internal dialogue. And even sometimes today that ghost comes back. But I was just told, no, you can't. No, you no, you can't. You're not worth it. If I did something that I thought was really good or positive, no, you can't share that. You can't brag. You can't boast. You can't, it was never bragging. It was more like celebrating and, but I learned it to become bragging, which was shameful. So anyhow, so I think over time and learning to have confidence, but surrounding myself with people who allowed me to just be myself without having shame, that is where the yes came from because I needed to be around people who were authentically supporting the yes and I needed to hear it enough that I started to believe it. And then once I started to believe it, that became my internal yes. And I will tell you, I'm a big believer in therapy. And I have gone to my share of therapy and I haven't gone for a couple, you know, a year now, but I probably will go back at some point again because I have something I believe in. Because when I do go through my ups and downs and I do struggle sometimes. And sometimes the internal dialogue becomes really destructive rather than constructive. And that's something I have to always be mindful of and keep track of, but it's about surrounding yourself with people who are going to support and celebrate the true person rather than put the expectations of who I should be. And I think you and I both have a similar path in the sense that we grew up in the same area. <laughs> there are expectations to be somebody that you can't be or you're not and you, or you don't want to be. And, and so I just, there was a lot of no's. There was a lot of no's and a lot of shame and but I think as I grow up and now I'm almost a year and a half till I'm 50, it's, you know, I've surrounded myself with really good people and it's taken me that time to do that. And then it's taken that time for me to believe them. So that was the other thing. And then once I believed them, I started believing in myself. And so it's a lot of, the, it started externally and then worked into the internal and therapy, definitely therapy.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think one of the reasons that this stood out for me so much is that, as Molly mentions, she and I went to the same high school. We have a very similar background, and I could relate so strongly to this idea that we had a lot of messages, uh, probably all of us, you know, <laughs> anyone listening as well, but you get a lot of messages in high school about how you're not good enough or you don't have the right clothes or whatever it is. And I think it's really interesting to loop back with someone now, you know, it's nearly 30 years later, and we can, we can recollect uh, what some of that messaging meant and and what it did to us as younger people. But we can also celebrate the, the people that we have become since then and how our lives have taught us something new about ourselves and how we can live past those messages that we heard as younger people, which is really special to reconnect with her about it having had such a very similar background. And then I also really love, Molly works with a lot of elderly people and has experience in in residential care settings with them. And we talked a little bit about, you know, past situations where something difficult had come up because, of course, one of the questions across this whole season has been, how have you found joy in the messy middle? And I felt like this answer from Molly about visiting some of her residents right when you know, 9-11 happened, really gave a beautiful answer about what we can learn from difficult things. I remember when 9-11 happened.
2: That was the first real traumatic experience on a global level that I had been in. And I was just remember being overwhelmed and I, at the time I was working in Sacramento and in an assisted living community and it happened. And I remember going in and saying, I'm going to go hang out with my residents and see what's going on. Like, what are they thinking about it? Their perspective was like, this is a horrible thing, but we will get through it because this is who we are. We as a nation will, you know, it was like, so they had, because they had lived through World War II. They had lived through so many traumatic things in their life. And to get those perspectives of, yes, we have to acknowledge what we're dealing with in the moment, but we also have to have the hope and knowing and the confidence that we can get through this and become better as a result of it. And so you hear those things and it's really empowering. Like I was supposed to help them and they're
0: helping me Molly it was such a treat to get to reconnect with you and thank you so much for being on the show the next interview that I want to reflect on was with Lan cow and her daughter Harlan Margaret van cow and this was a really interesting interview for me because it was one with a mother and a daughter and they've jointly written a memoir and it's it's a very interesting book I'll link up it I'll link up to it in the episode notes for you, the interesting thing is is that it really shows the story of both Lan and her daughter growing up, but how they grew up in very different situations. Lan grew up in Vietnam and left right during the Vietnam War, and Harlan has grown up in the United States as a very American child. <laughs> the thing that really stood out for me and that I've kind of gnawed on since then was when Lan talked about... Um, about coming to the United States from Vietnam and how she felt like the path to becoming an insider here in the US was to learn the language. And I just love how she talks about the language and knowing how how sentences and language were used, how that gave her an insight about how she thought she could also boil down really difficult subjects and how it stuck with her.
3: I felt like everything that was wrong came from my being an outsider to this country. And the way to become an insider was through education. And education for me was like really mastering the English language. And mastering the English language also helped me, actually, because I was very interested in diagramming sentences. Because it felt like I could segment a big problem into smaller problems. And I think that's a really good skill. Uh, Diagramming is a very good skill to apply in life generally. So for example, when I was 13 and I read a passage in a James Joyce book or a Henry James, you know, where the sentences are long, they're not like Hemingway sentences that are more short, right? So if you have a really long flowery sentence and English is not your first language, the first thing you have to look for is the subject and the verb. And once you have that, then you realize that the adjectives are just descriptions of the noun, and the adverbs are just further descriptions, modifiers of the verb. But if you can identify the subject and the verb, you can understand the English sentence. And if I can understand the English sentence, then I'll do better in school. Now when I see a problem, I try to find the subject and the verb of that problem you know, because then it's just, I'm not, the problem is not bigger. It's really a flowery sentence. Like the problem can be a flowery sentence.
0: Yeah. But
3: inside the flowery sentence is really just the subject and the verb. And if I can identify that, I can solve the problem because I've made it smaller and just sort of ignore the flowery modifiers. And and that's helped me because sometimes when you're in the middle of the problem, it looks bigger than it really is. So I've always used the diagramming structure, which I learned when I learned English, yeah. and apply that to sort of general problem solving. And I think when you can break down a problem that appears humongous, because when you're in the problem, all problems appear humongous. Yes, There's like a dust storm around you. Of being able to go process by process or diagramming subject verb, even if it doesn't show you the whole problem, it does calm your mind down. Yeah. To thinking, you know, it's kind of like in AA, one step at a, one day at a time. You know. Don't Think of it as,
0: oh my God, the rest of my life. As the conversation went a little bit further, it was also super interesting to hear Lan talk about how she then could interpret her role. Uh, she felt she'd been such an outsider in the United States when she first arrived here. And looking at her own daughter growing up in very different situations.
3: The problem is that when I looked at Harlan's high school experience, when I was looking for her subject and her verb, I was using my subject and my verb to see if she was having difficulty in high school, and her subject and verb was different. So to me, you know when I'm looking at the problem, I'm thinking in high school the problem is' you're you you are an, an outsider because that was my problem. Her problem was not that she was an outsider. So when I saw that she was not an outsider, I thought, well, she doesn't have any problem you know or whatever ones were were kind of all manageable. Her problem was that she was very much deeply an insider. And when you're an insider, you have very different kinds of problems.
0: A very special thanks to Lynn and Margaret um, for being on the show and sharing their really beautiful story. Um, It's so lovely hearing about how a family from a different nation came under a traumatic time and how they have how they have both grown and flourished in many ways. And so thank you both so much for being on the show and for writing such a very amazing book to share your journey with all of us. We're going to fast forward a little bit now here into this year, 2021. And I really had An absolute delightful conversation. An absolutely delightful conversation with Erica Corday. She is a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist. She's also one of the co-hosts of Pause on the Play, and she's a, a life coach. Erica has so much going on, and she really is a beautiful and wonderful person. I had the pleasure of meeting her at She Podcasts Live back in 2019 in Atlanta, and I. I have talked about her um, her philosophy of imperfect allyship uh, quite a bit, actually, on the show. And so it was a full circle moment to be able to have her on to talk to her and ask her questions about it. Because so much of this past year and definitely part of our messy middle collectively has been the pieces around racism. And, of course, I, I have an anti-racism pledge here on the show. And so it was really lovely to have Erica come on and talk about both her approach for imperfect allyship and also how she approaches having conversations with people about racism. She is a Black woman, and I really deeply appreciate that she takes the time to help Others, like myself, a white woman, understand some of this in a different way and offer us all a different lens of how we can actively participate in allyship and how we can embrace anti-racism. And so first here, she's going to explain in her very own words, what is imperfect allyship?
4: The entire concept of imperfect allyship is you basically realizing that the things that you take for granted the things that you have easy access to, the simplicity through which you can do things that isn't the same for someone else, these things that again, you have easy, free and clear access to, you are recognizing that there are people that don't have that same privilege and you are saying, I don't want this to be this way for you. I want to actively change this and so therefore I am going to use my platform and my privilege to shift these disparities and go on this path of trying to reach equality by starting with equity. And so Mm -hmm. when somebody is in this place of like, I want to change things. Okay. What is your platform? What do you do? What is your currency? So to speak, you know, and figuring out with that, how can you shift it so that you can have a network that has more people in it that are experts? that just so happen to be diverse. And I say it that way because you don't want to lead with their societal indicators. You want to lead with them being an expert. You want to lead with them being an awesome human. You want to lead with the fact that you think that they're amazing and more people need to know about them. And they just so happen to be these other things. How is it that you can center the voices of those that don't have the same type of platform that you do? How can you shift the content that you take in personally and professionally so that you are able to work on reconsidering your normal. Because when your normal is based in your bubble, it makes it harder to not only understand what's happening outside of it, but you then can't support those outside of it because you don't know what they need because you haven't listened to them tell you. And you also have not recognized what it is that you can do differently so that what it is that you're seeking to provide to them or support them with how can this actually be something that they want or need does it actually support them or does it just make your ego feel better to say that they brought this from you
0: and then we're going to hear from her talking about how she approaches doing anti-racism work with other people I remember when i first started
4: one of my big things and still is is that i don't want to be a what i call a diversity dominatrix the person that's like Mm, i'm going to put my leather boot on your neck and tell you you're a dirty racist and whip you and somehow there's this masochistic need to be punished and i don't want to go there you can do things that i don't agree with that i think are wrong that i vehemently am against however i don't need to make you feel bad for it if you're working with me or you're seeing these things and you're taking in this content you're gonna do a fine job doing that for yourself. I'm not here to do that. Mm. And I feel like now now that does not mean, again, play dumb games, get dumb prizes. Like there is that place of like, if you do something that is offensive, harmful, that needs to be addressed. That does not mean because you did, you know, you used the wrong pronoun here, and you addressed it, that now you're going to be canceled. That's not what that means. It means when you specifically aim to just not care, and yeah. you just have zero filter, zero consideration, that's where I'm just like, um, no. And so when I think about imperfect allyship, for me, I don't think that I need to give people a reason to feel safe in the sense of like, living in a white body, you are safer than what I am. So I will acknowledge that, which is why I don't do it for that reason. But I do it because if there is not a reason for you to feel as though you can and should do this, then you won't. You'll stay in the safe space. And so most of us are very aware that if something seems as though it's going to cause us harm, we won't choose to do it. And unfortunately... Allyship and anti-racism work is no different. And so reminding people that everything that we do in life comes from a place of you having to learn, do better, rinse and repeat. For me, it's really just about that reminder. This is no different than anything else that you do. You don't know, you get information, you try it out, you screw it up, you make amends, you learn how to do it differently, you go and you try it again. And so there needs to be this place of understanding that perfection is not what's expected of you. What's expected of you is to be in action. And so if you are willing to do something and you keep moving, you're good because the problem isn't when you mess up. The problem is when you mess up and then you do nothing or you double down or you think that you're correct. That type of action is where it's like, ooh, wait, wait, no, not that. That part's
0: not going to work out. Erica, thank you so much for being on the show and for offering a leadership stance in how we can all approach this role of imperfect allyship with one another. I'm, I'm deeply inspired that you have offered to step into this space and be a leader in it. And I really appreciate that you're doing this work. So thank you so much for everything that you do and for being on the show. And I really hope that I get to see you in... Scottsdale at She Podcast Live 2021 in October. So, that brings us to the last of these five overviews that really have left an amazing imprint on my heart and that I really wanted to reflect on as I wrap up season 6 here on the podcast. And this this last one that we're going to hear from really so special it's uh a, the conversation that i had with sonia renee taylor and of course she's the author of the body is not apology and she's also the leader of of the body is not apology foundation It really was a deep honor to be able to speak with her. She is warm and vibrant and so much fun, and I will release the video of it at some point. Her dog does make an appearance. (laughs) It's just the sweetest thing ever. Um, She also mentions him. You'll hear it coming up in this quote. But I really love the work that Sonia is doing in the world. And it is, uh, I know I keep saying this, but it's such an inspiration about the idea of radical self-love. And I think it's a really, it's a great way to end this season by having her talk about what radical self-love means. And it is really so, so important as we look at all of the really hard things that are happening on our planet and in our society right now if we can start to learn and uh, remember to love ourselves and hold space for that, I think that is the beginning of a huge shift. So here is Sonia speaking about radical self-love and what it means to her.
5: Radical self-love for me is our inherent um, sense of worthiness, enoughness, our inherent divinity, and our connection to that inherent divinity. And radical self-love Differs from in some ways what we call just self love, what other people talk about when they talk about self love, because um, radical. I literally mean the definitions of radical, right? Inherent, inherent in a thing, and I propose that you know our our self love is inherent in us. We came here this way. We came in right relationship with our bodies and the bodies of others. It is speaking to proposing thoroughgoing or extreme change. And I am advocating a love that is thoroughgoing and extreme and it's changes to the ways in which we view and understand humans and bodies and identities and, you know, I always say that we have, we already have a very thoroughgoing and extreme way in which we treat bodies today, we're thoroughgoing and extremely violent to bodies that we don't respect we are cruel to bodies we don't respect we are you know malicious and mean to our own bodies we already have that and so what does it mean to hold a love that is even at a greater capacity toward our bodies and the bodies of others radical proposes drastic political economic and social change and you know for me that is the key piece of why i do this work is that i'm i am not interested in tending to anyone's individual self-esteem and self-confidence while i wish you well that's (laughs) well While you know like i hope that for you but that doesn't change the material circumstances of my life right and i'm interested in the kind of love that changes the material circumstances of the people who have the most marginalized bodies of the people who are the most disconnected from opportunity resource and care and i believe that divesting from a system where we think we aren't enough mm-hmm. is actually one of the key ways in which we create that world yeah. and, and alter those systems. So I want to, I'm interested in changing the systems of the world and I'm interested in a love that does that. And then lastly, it's, you know, radical denotes being the foundation of something. And I propose that we have tried building the world on all kinds of things. We have built it on greed and money and power and all of those things. And I mean, we could just look around and see how those experiments have gone. <laughs> and so, and so, I propose, like, what would it look like? I'm, I'm in a great experiment. The experiment is, what if we built it on love? Mm-hmm. What would it look like? Yeah. And so, so yeah, so that's what radical self love is to me, and why it is radical.
0: Yeah. And then the last little nugget. I mean, there's so many. So I am going to just link up to the whole conversation, of course, as I will with all of these. Because I also want you to go back and listen to how Sonia talks about how real joy doesn't have any residue, which I just love that little nugget of a conversation so much. But the thing that I feel is important for us to land with here as as we close out this whole season, oh my goodness, is I asked Sonia about how do we keep going? Knowing um, she is also a Black woman and she's in the space of being a... A conduit for great change on the planet and I asked you know how do we stay in this space of continuing to make change even when we feel like maybe we're getting burnt out or we're overwhelmed or we feel like everything's so hard and so heavy and so I really really love her answer which is that she only gives from her overflow and and so here are her words about this
5: I'm a proponent, and I say this probably every place that I go, that I only give from my overflow. Like, you can't have what's in my cup. Mm. What's in my cup is for me. <laughs> it's what sustains me. And so I make sure that I have a practice that fills my cup, you know? And that practice is, you know, that practice is Baldwin. <laughs> you know, that practice is the process of surrounding myself by beauty, the process of being in community with others, <laughs> the process of having deep and intimate and connected relationships with people who are close to me, who like know me, know me. Those are all the the things that I do to keep filling my own cup. And when I am full, then I give. When I'm full, that's when I go fight the system. (laughs) I don't fight the system when I'm half full and in my sludge and my dredge, because I don't have anything of substance to give. And the reason I live in New Zealand is because inside of the U.S. I was just the sludge at the bottom of the cup. Cause I, I was in such constant survival mode that I couldn't get to thriving to really give what I have to give for my overflow. And so whatever that is, you know, and it won't be moving for everybody. It'll be whatever it is for you. But find out what that is for you. And again, it goes back to, this is an inside out job. And so as soon as you find yourself trying to do an outside in job, you know, that you're off track, go back to yourself, come back home.
0: Mm. And I feel like those words, go back to yourself, come back home. So good. And it really, I mean, even just on a personal note, it like kind of reverberates or it has a little bit of a resonance back to my original blog, which is um, welcoming spirit. It's about coming back to yourself. So just a really special way to end what has been such a Such a strange and different kind of year. And a big special thank you for being on the show, Sonia. It was a total delight to speak with you. And I really appreciate that you took the time out of your very busy schedule to join me and share your wisdom. And you can find the link to her, the past conversation and her book as well in the show notes, jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 290. So where do we go from here? Well, Here's what I have in store over the next few weeks We're I'm going to jump right on in and we're going to do some summer fun because I feel like we all need a little bit of a breather as we take the summer off. <laughs> so I'm going to play some of the most joyful and most fun and most lighthearted conversations that we've had here on the podcast. Uh, you'll be hearing some from some favorite past guests as we look at some look back episodes and that'll run for a few weeks and get us into (laughs) August-ish. And then we're going to jump into kind of a mini-series, I I guess. Uh, We'll hear from Andrea Owen, who is about to release a brand new book called Make Some Noise. She's always so much fun to have on the show. And so we'll hear from her early August. And then I've got an amazing three-part series that is actually airing live on Instagram live and I'm talking with my friend Jen Oglesby. She is also a certified life coach and we are lovingly, we are unpacking the question of what the hell, (laughs) as in what the hell just happened to us over the last 18 months. We're calling it a three-part conversation where we find our footing about the present and post-pandemic. So if you would like to join us, the first episode went up uh, July 7th. So that was just yesterday. And then we'll be meeting again on my Instagram, which is at Jumpstart Your Joy on the 14th. And then again on July twenty eighth. Those will be live. You can participate. You can ask us questions. You can just tune in. We'll be live at one PM Pacific, four PM Eastern. So you can join in there. And then uh Septemberish I'm coming back for season seven. Really excited to be returning. And I guess I'll give the preview. The theme for season seven is comfort and joy. And I'm going to be looking at the many ways that we can f- kind of re-find our center, we can reground ourselves, how we can take some time for ourselves to find some comfort, contentment, some ease. In this year after a year like we've never had before. And so I hope you will all come on back for all of these upcoming events. And I want to give you all a very big thank you for tuning in for all of season six and sticking with it here with me in the messy middle. I hope you'll come on back for the reruns for the mini series, and for next season. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.